Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel. I'm your host. And today, my illustrious guest, I have Brian Gundell. He is the principal and creative director at Brian Gundell Graphic Design Company. Brian, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine. We were just talking about some San Diego Padres logos and colors, which we'll get to in a little bit. And I'm very excited for it. Brian has a graphic design company. As the name says, you're very spot on too, man. I like how you're not leaving any room for, no room for questioning. Brian Gundell, that's you. Graphic design, that's what you do, right into the point. But Brian works with a lot of different sports teams, leagues, agencies, and schools around their graphic design and their brand standards and some of these other fun buzzwords and, and interesting topics we're going to get to talk about. But Brian, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Oh, man, that's that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Like, that's why do we all love sports? I I think just um, there's something magical about sports where you you have this ability to to bring people of all different backgrounds and 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 creeds and colors and all those things together and unite them um, as fans. Uh, and, and even if they're not fans of the same team, it's really cool that they can, you know, just bond over, over the competition. And yeah, there might be some friendly jabbing back and forth, unless you're from Philadelphia. Um, in which case, you know, that, that things get a little more heated, <laughs> no disrespect to Philadelphia. Oh, sports no, no, fans no, 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 all the disrespect in the world. Don't worry. I am, uh, I'm on a crusade, so don't worry. You're perfect. Man. I live here in New Jersey. I, I'm New York a hundred percent. So don't worry. Give them all the offense they deserve. <laughs> they are, I will say they are, they are definitely some of the most passionate fans. Mm -hmm. I, uh, passion. And I respect the hell out of that. I will yeah. give them that. There's no such thing as a farewell, fair weathered Philadelphian. Um, no, but don't worry. Not a big fan either way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that's cool. I also think that, you know, there's no, there's no telling what might happen in sports. You know, you can have the juggernaut who, who just, dominates and then the playoffs come along and they get upset. I mean, look at what happened to the Tampa Bay lightning uh, in the Stanley cup playoffs last year. They, they were president's trophy winners. They were just dominating left and right. And they got swept in the first round. Right. In um, the first round. And that, that to me is amazing that at, on any given day, anybody actually has a chance. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a great way to bridge generations, bridge communities and, and, there, I just there's there's something magical about sports. I've loved it my whole life. I love that. It, it, it there is magic, uh, which is interesting, as you say. You know that word obviously is is subjective. We don't really know what it is or how it works, but there is that feeling. There is that emotion. You know, I've talked about it on the show multiple times now. And I've went to the 2015 World Series. I'm a very big Mets fan. Went to the 2015 World Series. Was that the one game that they ended up winning, which was kind of cool. But there was a feeling there that I have never felt. I don't know what that feeling was. I don't know what that emotion was called or how it happened or how it worked. But there was something there and I can't describe it. And it was one of the coolest moments of my entire life. It was also nice to see David Wright hit that home run. Um, you know, obviously shed a tear for that one. But it, there's just something about it, man. And as you said, you know, the competition, people can, even if you're not a fan, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Philadelphia sports, but I watch games with Philadelphia sports fans all the time because where I am and, and who I hang out with. And yeah, we can jab back and forth. I'm not going to go into Philadelphia and start talking sauce to people there, but <laughs> my friends, of course, we can have those conversations and hopefully sure. level headedly. Um, but no, man, I, I completely agree with you. And there's just something about it. And as you said, you've loved sports your entire life. It's always been something that has surrounded you and what you do. Where was that creative side always there as well? Obviously now running, owning and working in the graphic design field. Was that something that you know, from a young age, as you enjoyed sports too, there was kind of this other side of you that was like, you know, I like kind of putting things together and seeing what I can create out of them. Uh, it was, but not consciously. Um, so for me, like art was never anything I really did for the sake of art, mm -hmm. um, it, it, which is really, really funny because both of my, my mom's parents were professional artists um, and it just kind of never dawned on me. Uh, I got into it because I loved uniforms, loved the uniforms that, that 
that players would wear. And I, I got super into the weeds on the details. And and for me, it was any sport specifically, mainly baseball to start. And then that grew into hockey and then okay. um, to a lesser extent football. Uh, but baseball and hockey were my big two passions growing up and still are to a large extent. Um, though I love most sports now. Um, but, you know, I, I played baseball. So when I put on that uniform, I, I envisioned myself wearing, you know, the MLB uniform. So I, I always kind of paid attention to, you know, what is the stripe down the, the side of the pant leg look like? What is the text on the, on the Jersey front look like? What are, what are the caps? I, for the longest time as a little kid wanted to have all, I think 26 at the time MLB club caps. Like that was like, my big childhood dream was to own all of those. <laughs> like I didn't care about any of those mm-hmm. teams except for the San Francisco Giants, which was my childhood team growing up. Um, but yeah, that was, that was like what I first paid attention to uh, that really was like understanding art and design without knowing it. Mm-hmm. So I would just draw my favorite team logos over and over and over and over and over again. My dad went to UC Berkeley. So Cal has the the very famous Cal script logo. And I would draw that thing over and over and over again. Um, especially because I grew up near Stanford University. So it was like, ha suck it, Stanford. <laughs> Cal. Um, Got him. Yeah. But so I would draw those and, and the Giants SF mark, the interlocking SF mark all the time. And, and then um, as I, I discovered other sports and other sport logos, I would draw those. Uh, I was really, really into the Phoenix Coyotes Kachina logo in 96 when they moved from Winnipeg. Um, and then it got to the point where I was, as I started playing sports and as sports video games started to really ramp up their graphics and offer some customization stuff, I was like, ooh, I'll make up my own teams and my own team logos and my own team uniforms. So that's that's really where it sparked and kind of grew into a hobby for me. And that's all it ever was, um, was just a hobby until I got to college. Mm-hmm. And so, so your first logos you designed. So again, we, we kind of brought up in the beginning you, and, and not to spoil the end, but I think this is a really cool, everything comes full circle. So you designed the newest San Diego Padres logo. Yes. But those first logos you designed were like on EA, like 95 or something like uh, NHL 95, where they allowed you to do that stuff. That's insane. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they they were there, and and I had a a lot of my mom at one summer bought for me just like these blank tank tops, and I I she gave me puff paint. <laughs> I made NPA jerseys out of puff paint with those with with those tank tops, and I thought that was super fun, like to make my own and put my name and number on the back of them because I was a dork like that. Uh, but yeah, like. Early, early on, that, that's when I was I was doing that stuff. That is so cool, man. I mean, again, like all these stories, I have so many conversations, with so many cool people like yourself, and all these stories come full circle somewhere. Um, and that is just so cool that that's how yours. The, oh man, well, I'm very excited now to talk more about the Padres in a little bit. But so, so you said it wasn't, it wasn't really, it was, it was just a hobby until you made it to college. Mm-hmm. So what? Like what happened in college that made you say like, hey, maybe I can just actually do this as a career. I like it so much. You know, so many people want to do their hobby as a career and never really just take that leap of faith. What was it that you said like, you know, actually, why not just make this a career? So my my dad um, has his own business. He sells printing and promotional products. Uh, and as part of that, he does some some very, very basic limited design support for his clients. Because of that, he had the Adobe Creative Suite. And, um, as I started getting more and more into, you know, my hobby of designing logos, I basically just used his software and, um, started dinking around, uh, and, and kind of upped my game a little bit. Now this was Adobe CS. <laughs> so it was, it was, I think the first iteration of the creative suite or it might've been CS2. Uh, this is early, early 2000s. What number are we on now, just for reference? We're on 2020. Oh, goodness, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's been 2020. It's been, it's been quite a while. Um, I think this is uh, Illustrator like 24 or something like this. Uh, yeah, 24th 1.3 is the edition of Illustrator that we're on now. And, and uh, Creative, the, the, the CS 
one version, I think was like version eight or nine or something like that, or 10. So, uh, 15 iterations later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I was just using it to, to do, you know, fantasy sports team logos and uniform stuff. And, um, I was doing one in my dorm one day. I didn't have a major declared. Uh, I was a freshman at the university of Oregon and I was in my dorm room on my laptop thinking away. And I was like, Hey, people do this for a job. <laughs> I could do it for a job. Why not? Right. Very, very naive. And again, zero art background, zero formal art training. Uh, like I can't, I couldn't, and I still can't draw for shit. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, just a, you know, shot in the dark kind of a thing, more or less. Well, hey, man, I mean, I think it's great. And just to bring up the Oregon Ducks, I mean, what, they always break it out once a year when they wear the uh, the Donald Duck uh uniforms uh and i i love when they have him on their helmets and and when they when they rock that on you know game day or whatever those are always the best i don't know how the licensing works and i'm not trying to dive too deep into that but how often do you like at oregon i mean how many times did you create that logo over and over and over and over again uh not by that time not that much Mm -hmm. uh i kind of gotten away from drawing the logos that were my favorites and, and kind of had shifted to doing my own. Um, and, and it's not Donald duck. Uh, we, we call him puddles. Officially. He is just the duck just to clear, clear that up. That's how we get by with the licensing. All right. Well, the the story, the story goes, and I'm sure your listeners from a general sports thing will Uh appreciate this. The athletic director back in the mid forties, I can't, I can't remember the guy's name. He knew Walt Disney personally and had asked him as a personal favor if they could use Donald Duck as the Oregon official Oregon mascot. Mm-hmm. And, and they had a handshake agreement. Now, Disney for years disputed this. Um, and finally, through multiple you know, lawsuits and, and arbitration and, and things like that, you know, Oregon produced multiple photos of this athletic director with Walt, with them shaking hands, with them holding, you know, Donald Art. And and finally, Disney said, OK, here's the deal. You can use the duck art, uh, but you got to put copyright Disney anytime you use that particular art uh, that logo. Now, it was also one of the reasons that Oregon in 1998 rebranded to the current O logo that they have. So. That's, Interesting. That's, that, see, that's and that's why I love having these conversations because you learn something new every day. Uh, and I know we're going to be learning a lot, but that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, Puddles is actually a way cuter name than Donald Duck. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, but we all kind of know. We we all kind of know. So I think that's pretty funny though, and that's a good story, and that's that's really good to know and to learn. And I guess so. Going back to you a little bit, you know, we can get off Disney. He they have enough money, no free ads anyway. Um, with that, I guess what. When you did, you know, as you said, no formal training, just kind of doing this for fun on your own, doing it for fantasy sports logos, as you said, what was it like entering those first few classes like of formal training at, you know, in college? You know, at that point, I'm assuming it would have been assumed that you have gone through some sort of class or traditional route. What was it like kind of just jumping in and, and starting to learn all these new terminologies and all these new opportunities in a more you know formal way? Well, the, the cool thing for me is because of my dad's, you know, company, I had, I had some basic knowledge mm-hmm. of, of graphic design, at least from a print perspective. So that, that gave me a little bit of a leg up. The other thing that gave me a leg up is that um, the University of Oregon does not have a traditional graphic design degree program. Um, uh, I still had to apply to get in and uh, they, they said they only let like 50 students in a year or something like that. So I, when I applied, I was really, really nervous because of my lack of any sort of formal training. Um, but when I got into the program, I was like, oh, yes. Uh, I was just ready to dive in and learn. Um, and the program at the time was called Multimedia Design. So it was design focused, but much more so on the digital side of things. So really heavy emphasis on web development and animation and things like that. Um, and then when I actually enrolled, they decided to change it to digital art. Um, and they were like, we want to make fine artists using digital tools. And, and the degree is still referred to by that name to this day. Um, and it, it just 
like I was devastated because it's like, here I am. I want to be a graphic designer. I want to learn about graphic design. I'm ready to soak up everything because I don't know anything and I'm not going to learn anything. Um, and it ended up being a blessing in disguise because I, 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 at that point I was like, well, I'm halfway through my degree uh, here at UO. I could try to transfer to Oregon State. Um, but transferring, I would have to get into their graphic design program, which is much more uh, stringent in its application. So there was really, for me, the way I was looking at it, I didn't think I had a prayer to get into that program. And then it would have taken me uh, anywhere from a year to two extra years to graduate. So I was looking at anywhere from five to six years to finish my degree. Um, or my other option was to just finish my degree as quickly as I could and get into the workforce and learn on the job. And uh, I signed up for uh, uh, an online community uh, that was a, a forum uh, piggybacked off the sportslogos.net website. Um, and uh, through there, I met a lot of uh, professional designers and asked a whole bunch of questions. It's where I posted all my early work and got a lot of good feedback and information about graphic design, about the industry. And every single person in there said, I learned more in my first year on the job than I ever did in school. And these are people who went to traditional design schools like the Savannah College of Art and Design and RISD and the Pratt Institute and, and other, other graphic design programs around the country. And they were like, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Just get out and get working. Uh, even if it's just at a sign shop or wherever you can, you can find a gig, just go get a gig and, and you'll learn way, way more. So that's what I did. I, I got my degree in three years and uh, got out and went job hunting. I love it. Yeah. Which was a uh, great timing because it was 2007. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's um good timing for you and shout out all of our college grads uh, coming out this year. Hopefully everything figures itself out yeah. for them as well. Um, but yeah, not, not a great time. And you know, it's funny that you say that, you know, you learn more on the job. I mean, I went to business school, marketing degree, and yes, I learned in school. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, you learn way more in the first like six months to a year out of college than you actually did in college. Now, maybe oh, yeah. that's me, uh, but I've heard a lot of people say that. So I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but I felt it. I, I know I'm a lot of other people that feel it as well. And, you know, still very grateful for my time at Rutgers. Maybe you can work with them soon. That'll be kind of cool. Maybe a little update to the Scarlet Knight. You got to keep the color. That part's pretty easy, but maybe the knight himself. I don't know. But um, yeah, man, it's just very interesting. So I guess, you know, as you said, you know, difficult job market. I did see that you had a few different jobs outside of the sports industry before you eventually did enter with Nike, if I'm not mistaken. And we don't have to really talk about your, your first few jobs until, you know, we do get to Nike. But I do want to understand you know, you working with your, your father for a long time, kind of always having that, you know, that outside of the sports industry feel before you get into Nike, what was like the differences between the two, I guess, between the sports industry and, and non-sports industry from a, a workload perspective, from a supply demand perspective, from a um, urgency perspective, was there anything that was strikingly different between, you know, within and without the industry? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of differences. Um, so when, when I finally made the decision that to go into graphic design, I, I actually didn't have any aspiration of doing sports. Um, yeah, and at the time sports design wasn't really the industry it is today. Mm -hmm. Um, if you said sports design in 2007, that really meant sports branding uh, and identity work. Uh, and there was a handful of people around the country that were doing it. Uh, Eric Rickabaugh, SME, um, uh, Brandios, which was Plan B Branding at the time, Torch Creative, Joe Bosak, Todd Radom, uh, Fan Brands. Um, so, you know, there's a very narrow window of people who are working on this kind of stuff. Uh, Rare is, is another one. Um, so, like, the opportunity load was kind of limited. And that was something I, I loved and was super passionate about. But I was trying to be a little bit more realistic. So I kind of just dove into graphic design in general and and my early aspiration was to work for one of the big branding agencies like like interbrand or or landor and associates um that was kind of the dream at the time um i always wanted to do identity work i i love logos um i love identity i love branding um i love typography so those that's kind of where i wanted to focus my my attention but at, at the same time because i didn't get that formal education in design i i really just dove into it myself. 
um, and kind of soaked up all this knowledge I could. So I, I learned about packaging design and, and, and advertising, and I, I just fell in love with everything. Uh, so I didn't really care what I did. I just wanted to do graphic design as a job. Um, but to answer your question, to, to, to get to that, you know, my first job, uh, my first real job in graphic design uh, was with a, a teeny, teeny, tiny ad agency in Missoula, Montana. And our clients were car dealers and a furniture store in Missoula. And, and uh, we had an insurance agency. So, you know, all the, the very, you know, typical corporate clients. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it was much more the, the agency kind of model. So, you know, we'll come, we'll pitch, we'll, we'll have these brainstorm sessions and, and we'll have these very high level strategic discussions. And then, you know, we'll turn the work out and then, you know, we're going to, you know, have the media buying aspect of it. So we're going to be strategic in how we, how we target things. Contrasting that with, with what sports design is to now um, where you're talking about engaging with fans, you're talking about reporting stats. There's a much more speed to market immediacy um, in sports than there is in traditional design and advertising, the lead times are just way, way longer. You're talking months that you're working on a project. It's a lot more, uh, I don't want to say that it's, it's more well-crafted. Uh, I think there's just a lot more thinking that goes into it. Um, because if you take too long to think about a project in sports, the, the zeitgeist of that moment will have passed. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, this guy is going to hit home run number 500 in his career. We got to get something out today because he's going to hit 500 and then he's going to hit 501. And by the time he hits 501, if we don't have something, we've missed it. Um, so we got to be ready for when he hits 500. Stuff like that mm -hmm. um, is kind of a big thing. Um, contrasting that further when you're talking about you know the branding and apparel side in sports, that speed to market is actually even longer than the traditional design role because you have the uniform component and the merchandise component that you sometimes have in, in the, in the non-sports world, depending on what category the client is in. Um, but sports brands are usually finished 24 ish months before they ever actually go live. Uh, and the uniform, it's an 18 month lead time, a, a 12 month timeline if it's tight. So um, a lot of times these companies that are doing these, these logos and brands and uniforms are sitting on them for a long time before the public ever catches wind of them. Okay. Um, so here's a question for you. I know you've worked with the diamondbacks in the past. Mm -hmm. Did you create those uniforms? That, no. Okay. So you're telling me someone had 18 months to see those ridiculous uniforms and everyone was like, yeah, that, this is a good idea. This is what well, we can do right now. Like, I mean, I thought they were kind of cool, but they are so ridiculous and it makes sense because i think what like a year and a half later they were like all right we're not going to use these anymore so like how does that fall through the cracks or how does nobody say like hey guys we can do this well there's a couple there's a lot of different factors and and while i didn't work on those specifically i was part of the process when i was working for the diamondbacks so i was actually employed by the diamondbacks uh, okay. they weren't a client of yeah. mine mm -hmm. um and i worked at the diamondbacks after i was i, I was a contractor at nike uh, so I had a lot of, of uniform mm -hmm. and apparel design knowledge. So the 2013 is when I started at the Diamondbacks. Um, late 13 is when we started having the conversation about doing a new uniform design. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of those conversations revolved around what can Majestic do? Um, so... <laughs> What Nike and the big guys like Under Armour and Adidas are, are New Balance are capable of and what they're able to do with their technology uh, and what Majestic was able to do at the time was, you know, here and here. Because I, I had some really cool ideas on, on, on what we could do to do some really unique things and then keep it a traditional baseball uniform at the time. And at the end of the day, they just they couldn't do it. Um, <clears throat> so there was, there was garment testing that was being, uh, done at the time on, on what became the flex base uniform. Uh, so that wasn't ready to, to hit the market, um, by, by the time I left the diamond backs. So that fell from me to, to 
one of the other designers there. And so they were working on it. And again, it came down to, you know, what they wanted versus what Majestic could do. Um, lots of other factors involved with people who are not designers, you know, making requests and suggestions. It's, it's, it, there's no one person you can ever kind of put the blame on, on of any of not. these things. There's, there's a lot of different a- uh, actors and factors in, in this sort of thing where, um, that's you what know. scares me the most, though. That many people saw it. You know what I mean? Like that's I, again, I think it's kind of cool, but I'm not like the person that makes those types of decisions. It's just one of those things where if it then comes off the shelf that quickly, somebody along the line should have been like, ah, oh, maybe this isn't the right uniform to create. You know, like, and well, I'm not criticizing. Again, I think it's cool. It's just if it comes off the line that quickly, there was clearly something wrong. The goal, the goal with that uniform was to to really do something different Mm -hmm. really really truly different with what a baseball uniform could be Mm -hmm. uh and um i I have to give credit for the diamondbacks as an organization for taking that risk absolutely and 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 just trying something you know they're they're the youngest franchise in mlb why wouldn't they uh and they wanted to to court a more youth oriented market you know you're seeing all these crazy uniforms in college uh, and starting to see some of that bleed into the NFL. So they wanted to be kind of the innovator of that in MLB. And and they were really the first team to, to take a chance on that. Mm-hmm. So I got to give them a lot of props yeah. for that. So um, when, when you don't know any better um, and, and, you know, you're seeing something that's just like, and you're hearing the the intent behind it. It's really mm-hmm. easy to sell. You know, this is what this is supposed to be. And you can go, oh, OK, I can see it. All right. OK, OK. Uh, so when the general public doesn't get that information mm-hmm. and they don't see those conversations, they don't hear those conversations, they don't know the ins and outs and, and the business reasons behind that or, or any of the strategic decisions, decisions behind that, which, you know, 99 times out of 100, they don't. Uh, it's really easy to just kind of look at it and judge it purely on aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should learn those reasons, especially with some of the logos um, and uh Maybe we won't bash all the new logos that you want. I won't let you bash them. But if we want to talk about the Atlanta Falcons and how stupid that looks or the Rams and how I'm actually pretty sure that's a Chargers logo. Uh, you know, we could talk about that a little bit later. But again, I don't your name is not your name's on this, too. So I want to make sure we're keeping it clean. Uh, but Michael Raziel says they look pretty dumb. Uh, but so so we talked a little bit about Dimex. Let's actually hop back in time with Nike. As you said, you had some some time there. You were there for over a year, if I'm not mistaken, like with just yep. just short of a year. Okay. So so with your time there, I mean, one thing that I really like about Nike is, you know, especially when they took over the NFL uniforms and they started to make those colors pop more, especially when it came out with, with the Seahawks. And everyone saw that the first time. <clears throat> we're all like, whoa, that is all it took was to make some vibrant colors and we're all just kind of in love with this thing now. Like, would you be surprised? Like how much, I guess, what was your role at Nike and, and how deep did you get into the weeds of create helping with some of these major sports franchises on those logos on the uniform design and really understanding the aesthetics of all of it so i was first of all i I wasn't a direct employee of nike i I was a contract designer so they they hire um i was basically a temp uh, for for all intents and purposes they call them external temporary workers which is the nice way of saying temp um so that that's the first you know thing I want to, you know, clarify mm-hmm. out there. Um, I was for the first eight months of my time at Nike, I was in the football, uh, on field uniform apparel design group. Um, but being the temp, <laughs> I was a low man on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't really, um, touching any of the, uh, the really robust, um, identity stuff or, or uniform stuff, uh, at, at the beginning, at least I, I got to play around a little bit with that, uh, towards the end of my time, you know, as, as I got to learn their way of doing things and, and, you know, learning about the apparel, you know, construction process and, and design process. Um, so, you know, it, it was much more an education for me than it was like, you know, getting my hands dirty. Um, but I, I did get involved in some NCAA uniform, development stuff um I, i'm not really sure how much of it i'm, I'm allowed to talk about <laughs> um 
but I, I, I got to see behind the curtain on, on kind of how mm-hmm. they do things. So as you said, the, the 99% of things, most people don't see how it works. As you said, with the diamondbacks with Nike, it sounds like you at least got an understanding of what was happening. And, yeah. and I always think that's really interesting when you can understand, as you said before, with the diamondbacks, like, yes, uh, the, the, the uniform, unfortunately was not a success. I thought it was cool. Again, like I am not criticizing whoever made it as you're, you're completely right. At least they tried something. Baseball is so, still stuck in like the 1800s in many, many different ways, which is very frustrating to me because it's my favorite sport. But especially in something like that, they are so terrified of making risks. I mean, what the, the average age of a baseball fan is like over 45 or something. It's like close it's 57 to 50, right now. 57. Thank you. And you're, they're doing a great job at bringing in the youth, especially with this contract dispute they're having. So that number probably is going to continue to rise. So, you know, with, with that, with your time at the diamondbacks and really, again, getting to see behind the curtain, how much uh, before, and then you move on to the university of Washington, where you work with the Huskies football team through those three stops. What, how much did you learn about the business side and not just learning about the business side, but being able to connect that to the creative side where the creative is in you isn't just like, I want to do all these things because this looks cool, but like actually understanding the business aspects of what you need to do and, and why maybe you can't take it 100% and you probably have to bring the reins in a little bit. Oh, tons is the answer to that. I mean, I learned tons about how sports work. You, yeah. It's funny, like you, people look at sports franchises and they go, oh my God, they're, they're just these money machines. Uh, and, and the reality, it could not be farther from the truth. You know, people think, oh, you work for, for the Diamondbacks, you must be making bank. I don't make bank. I'm not a player. Yeah. You know, three quarters of the money goes to player salaries. The other quarter goes to the maintenance and upkeep of the facility. And then, then whatever's left gets to the front office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's very much, and I think this is changing to a certain degree uh, that there's, there was at least when I was there an attitude of, uh, you know, if you don't want this job at this salary, there's 9,500 people lined up behind you who do and will take that money and that mm-hmm. job and, and do all these ridiculous asks. Um, but, you know, day to day with the Diamondbacks, it's not like we were working on on uniforms day in, day out. Most of what we did was marketing for the team, uh, doing ticket sales and supporting supporting advertising for the team to generate ticket sales uh, or, or corporate sponsorships. So we, we were building assets for them to go out and sell to potential partners or, or renew uh, existing partners. And, and that's where a lot of teams money comes from is in sponsor deals. Um, so we, by the very nature of the work we were doing, I mean, we were working on the community. Affair, we supported every single department uh, in, in the organization, HR, community affairs, corporate sponsorships, ticket sales and operations, security, um, you know, we handled ballpark signage, uh, wayfinding signage in and around the concourse. We did all, you know, graphics for, uh, the video boards in game. We, we handled the team's marketing and advertising. We did large format stadium graphics. We did, um, community reports. We, I mean, literally any, anything that the company had, we touched. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, most, most teams, uh, UW was a little different because I was embedded in the football team. So my focus was really on recruiting, not on the, on the marketing fan facing side. I was on the recruiting side. Um, but even at that, that was eye opening because, you know, man, what a, what yeah, a rat race that is. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, you, they had a specific position and a division to make sure that they could recruit better. Mm-hmm. That is college football, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I love college football. My Saturday is from 12. Once Beth Moen comes on with that Illinois game, I am all about it. And then I go to sleep at, you know, one o'clock at night after the Pac-12 after dark game is about halfway over because usually Oregon's blowing someone out at that point. So I don't need to watch it too much longer. But like what tell like how again, maybe we don't want to, you know, give everybody the secrets. But I mean, what as you said, it was very eye opening. What what exactly was it like knowing that most people aren't really like your job isn't to appeal to the masses. Your job isn't to appeal to students or, or corporate sponsors like you did at, you know, at the Diamondbacks. It is to appeal to these seven, 16 through 18 year old young men to try and get them to understand the opportunity of playing at the University of Washington and to be a Husky. Like how much different are those designs, I guess, or, or that those pieces of art versus again, just kind of 
hey, here's your corporate sponsor. Hey, here's, you know, come on, come out to the game. Let's sell yeah. some tickets. Like, what exactly are you even designing at that point? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's night and day difference. Um, because again, yeah, you're designing some infographics. You, 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 it's all about, you know, stuff that recruits get. Um, so things like, statistics about the school you know it's the number one business school in the country or mm-hmm. seattle information about seattle because yeah. a lot of times you're recruiting for kid, uh, kids who are not from washington state or or mm-hmm. i mean just to use washington as, yeah. as an example um you're you're appealing to stuff that they like music you're incorporating music that they they listen to and they like you're incorporating pop culture way more uh pretty much any dirty trick you can think of for for lack of a better term to convince this kid to pick washington over alabama ohio state oregon cal usc texas oklahoma whoever i mean you're you're not competing against uh you know the other teams in the conference you're competing against every other team in fbs Mm -hmm. for these you know premier athletes and then you're you're not just looking at for next year you're looking at at three years down the road too so you're 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 sending all of this stuff to to freshmen and sophomores in in col or in high school um Mm -hmm. you know who are just not even thinking about college yeah, at this point. 15 years old, maybe. Yeah, Oof. maybe, maybe. I can't remember what the the NCA rules were because there are rules on how yeah, how yeah. far down you can go. Um, NCA has rules for everything. That's another thing too. Uh, the compliance aspect is far more stringent. Uh, we got uh, a slap on the wrist because <clears throat> we did a photo shoot with with three recruits put them in uniform and brought them out to, uh, onto the field. It wasn't a game happening, uh, but we brought them onto the field to do a, a photo shoot with them. And, and our compliance department uh, self-reported and said, you can't, you can't do that anymore. And I was like, why? <laughs> and they were like, well, X, Y, Z reasons, you know? So there was a lot more like we had to, to check with our compliance department a lot more frequently to say, Hey, can we even do mm-hmm. this? Um, yeah, there's uh, the the sheer volume of of work was way higher at UW than than at um, you know mm-hmm. uh, the Diamondbacks. Uh, they have an off season, so you know we were the worst team in baseball in 2014 or in 2013, and uh, when September hit, we were done. <laughs> so we kind of took the the last bit of September off. October was kind of like. People are doing their recaps, and then November mm-hmm. rolled along, and we started thinking about our, our 2014 season materials, but really, we didn't have a whole lot of hard stuff. December came around, and the place was a ghost town, and then the last two weeks of the year, they, they actually shut the office down completely. We got an extra two weeks paid vacation on top of that because they just shut the office down. And then then January comes around, and you're in the lead-up to spring training and, and the, the season. In, in recruiting, it just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. It is, it is all year round. You're talking to the kids in the summer because coaches are actually going and doing visits, uh, you know, in-home visits and traveling around the country. They're doing camps. So you tell them all about the camps. Then fall comes around and you're in fall camp and then you're into the season. So you're getting official visits and then you're getting these kids uh, to, you know, pay attention to when the games are on and, and what's happening in the games then, you know, the season ends and, and hopefully you make a bowl game. So there's all the hype around the bowl game. If there's not, you're going into signing day and you're doing, a, a, you know, that last minute push to signing day. This was before they had two signing days when I was mm-hmm. doing it. So yeah. we just had the one in February. Uh, after signing day, then you're talking about post signing day and look who signed for mm-hmm. us. And you yeah. could resign with them. These are all your buddies that you could play with next year. And uh, then, then it's you know NFL draft, and it's envision yourself, mm-hmm. you know, getting to the NFL draft by playing for the University of Washington, and 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 then look at all of our players that got drafted because we're such an awesome program, uh, and Co- Coach Pete is such a great coach, and, and and all this stuff, and it just over and over and over and over, and then it's spring ball, and then you've got the spring game, and then you're right back at it, never, it never, never stops. The other big difference is that. There's an expectation um, that you, when the coaches are there, you are there. Oh, 
mind you that you're making a fraction of what yeah. they're making. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, it, it's this bizarre mentality that, you know, it's this rise and grind mentality. Mm-hmm. And the coaches are there and they're doing, and they have grad assistants that are, are getting their graduate degree uh, and they're not making really anything. Um, so they, they look at you and you go, well, our grad assistants aren't making any money and they're here, they're doing that work. And my, my response to that was, <clears throat> okay, um, well, they're doing this because that's how you become an yeah. assistant coach uh, and a coordinator, and then a coordinator and then a head coach. And when you get to a head coach, you have a multi-million dollar payday mm-hmm. uh, uh, that is your potential earning power. Uh, I'm not going to get any higher than graphic designer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you are not going to pay me anymore. I am not going to get a higher title. I'm not going to have any more responsibility. This is my head coach ceiling here. So uh, you can pay me like a coach and I will be here like a coach or you can not pay me like a coach and I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I, again, it makes sense for grad assistance because that's what they're trying to do doesn't really quite make sense for a graphic designer to be there and yeah you're right there is that kind of uh and it was more so probably two years ago but it's still on the internet kind of like that hustle porn it's just like you know if you're not waking up at four o'clock in the morning running 15 miles and then putting in a 25 hour work day like you're not doing enough and you're gonna fail which is we all kind of know is ridiculous but you know that's young kids and and silly people they believe just about anything on the internet so you know it's just one of those things i'm sorry Oh, I was going to say, well, the, the fear is too, like if, if you're not constantly talking to these kids uh, mm-hmm. as a recruiter yeah. uh, and sending them graphics that somebody else is going to slide in and, exactly. and, and, and beat them to the punch. And, and it, from the kids' standpoint, they're just inundated with messages and graphics and things. And I maintained that no kid picks one school over another because of how fire their graphics are, which just like, ugh. Yeah, that term in and of itself just that might be yeah that when you say it like that it's kind of silly um but yeah i guess you know the point you make before that also kind of makes sense of like if you're not consistently talking to them in a way again you know the authenticity you know the marketing aspect if you're not talking to them in a way that they want to be talked to or talked at i guess in the states because you're kind of just shoving stuff down their throat um Somebody else will, you know, so I agree with you. They probably are not making that decision on, and I'll use your word, how fire the graphics are, but I'm sure you did a pretty fire job. So that's kind of cool, right? There's something. So, you know, you have these three incredible companies on your resume, right? We're talking about Nike. As you said, you were, you were a temp there. Your words, again, not mine, but it's kind of what it was. You worked for the Diamondbacks. You worked for the Huskies, University of Washington, how many people can say that they worked at one of the, if not the, probably the biggest sports brand in the world, a professional sports team, and one of the bigger, more well-known, you know, we'll call it top 30, top, you know, routinely top 25, but let's call it top 50 NCAA division one program, especially considering you worked in the football side of things. Like how many people can say that they have, you know, in four years done these three different jobs? I know of only one other designer who can, who can make that claim. All right. So I guess with that in mind, it was this kind of when, when the Husky said, no, you have to come in at five and stay till, you know, six in the morning, uh, the next day, was this kind of the, like, you know what, maybe I can do this on my own. Maybe this is something that I can start to take out on my own. No, no, that's not what happened at all. All right. Um, so, um, I actually, I had some really good conversations with the people at UW and kind of like, put it in those terms with them. And I was like, listen, guys, I got a wife. She has epilepsy. She doesn't drive. She has a job. I got to take her to work. Uh, and she works at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, she gets off at 5 o'clock at, at night. I'm not going to leave her there for three and a half hours on her own. So I'm going to come in as soon as I drop her off at work. And I'll drop her off a little early um, to get here as early as I can. And I'll leave here a little late and pick her up a little late. But realistically, you're kind of looking at an 8.30 to 5 kind of a gig for me. I will give you every ounce of everything that I have between those times. And weekends when we've got recruits in or we have a game, I'm there. So, But a- after that, that's my time. <laughs> and and they were they were pretty understanding about that. They I, I got some pushback a, a, at the beginning. Um, but when I – again, I explained – uh, the volume wasn't going to change. 
it had much more to do with the the coaches than it did me and my graphics uh and to just how quickly i work because I, I work really really fast um much faster than than other designers are capable of working i i think there are people who are really really good in this business can work quickly uh like i can so i'm not going to say that I'm, a, I'm the only one who can do that mm-hmm. but I can pump out a lot of work in, in that space of time, which is what I explained. Um, and I said, I just I don't have the ceiling to, to make this, you know, at $55,000 a year, like I'm not going to kill myself when I'm not going to get anywhere further mm-hmm. <laughs> than that. Um, and, and it took a little bit of, of convincing, but they finally got the message and they, they were pretty good about that. Um, and then I, I, you know, followed up with that and I, I delivered a lot in that space of time. Yeah. So they knew I put my money where my mouth was. Then my wife got pregnant mm. <laughs> and, uh, what ended up happening is that we made good money between the two of us, uh, for Seattle. Seattle's a really expensive city, um, at least for the West coast. <laughs> uh, and, um, we made enough for the two of us and we did not make enough to, have my wife quit her job to watch our daughter mm-hmm. um, with what I made at UW by myself. And we did not make enough c- combined to pay for daycare. Isn't um, that funny how that works? Yeah. Gotta love it. Daycare was going to cost more than our rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I went to Coach Pete. And um, fortunately, my wife at the time, her company she was working for had an office in Portland. And we had a lot of long conversations about what we were going to do. And my parents had come up visiting and they said, and my mom just kind of off the cuff said, come back to Portland. I'll watch your kid. That's less than rent. I can almost guarantee that's less than rent. Thanks mom. Okay. Um, so my wife went to her company and, and asked if she could transfer it and they kind of dragged their feet a little bit, but eventually said yes. And so when my wife got the confirmation that she could transfer and had all that lined up, I went to Chris Peterson and I said, so here's the deal, man. Uh, I can't afford to have a kid here because I can't afford daycare. Um, so I either need you to increase my salary by, by this amount uh, and everything will be fine and I'll stick around. Uh, I need to, if you can't bump my salary, keep me where I am, that's fine, but I'm going to move to Portland and I'll work remotely. I'll drive up or fly up or take the train up on official visits to still do recruit photos shoots Mm -hmm. and I'll be up for every game day uh, at home. I promise you. I said, but other than that, I'll just be physically in Portland, but you'll, you won't see, um, uh, you won't see any drop in in productivity. Yeah. Um, or, or I have to tender my resignation and I will help you find my replacement. And, uh, Coach P said, totally get where you're coming from. Can't pay you anymore. And I got to have somebody here in the building every day. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Get I understand. Um, so I, I, I did that. I gave them a full 30 days notice. I gave them a full month. And I, I looked through resumes and portfolios and interviewed candidates. I made sure all my stuff was on their hard drives and, and super well organized and uh, uh, was able to kind of get them set up and ready to go. So. Um, it was a pretty seamless transition for them. And, and I, I told them as well, I was like, Hey, if, if your new guy needs any help finding anything or, or needs anything, just have them call me. It's no big deal. Um, so I left UW with the intention of, uh, getting a job in Portland. And, uh, I was talking to a, a recruiter at Adidas at the time that just didn't work out. So, um, you know, the other thing I knew my wife was going to be on maternity leave and, and wasn't paid maternity leave. So I needed to bring some extra money in. So when we were still in Seattle, I ramped up my freelancing and that was just going really well in Portland. Um, so I figured I'd freelance until I could get another job and I just ended up not getting another job. <laughs> That's awesome. And here you are, man. I mean, I think it's always cool again, uh, just to give it another plug, Brian Gundell graphic design company uh it's just it's always nice like i so i own my own business i am always for people owning their own business like if you can if you're making you know just to use you know some some easy numbers as you said you're making 55 grand a year if you could bring in what's that number what what is 60 divided by you know what's that five if you could bring in five grand a month you know from two clients three clients maybe i mean 
it's when you break it down like that, it's it's not like this insurmountable, ridiculous number that you have to do. You're making the same amount. You're actually probably making more. Don't tell the IRS, but you're writing everything off at that point. At least I am. I hope you are too. Um, you know, so there's just so many other opportunities that come with it. So I'm always for it. Obviously, there's a lot of work that's involved, but you don't have anybody hanging over you. You can go do what you need to do when you need to do it. And so what I guess at what point did you kind of just say, you know what, actually, I'm just going to continue to do this. I'll, I'll make it a company name. And you know, this is, this is what I'm doing moving forward rather like at what point did you, I guess, did you stop looking for jobs? Um, I stopped looking for jobs. Uh, so we moved back to Portland in July of 15, three, three weeks before my daughter was born. Um, and I, I formed my articles of incorporation that October, but it was really like August that I mm -hmm. stopped looking for jobs. Oh, okay. so. um, and I had, I had applied for a bunch of jobs. I had a lot of interviews. Um, and I had had a, a phone interview with Benchmade Knives to be either a, a senior designer or art director with them. And I got off the call and my wife asked me how, how to go. And I was like, well, great. They want to move me to the next round. She goes, cool. You, you, you going to do that? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she goes, well, why, why not? I was like, because I really just don't want to do that. I don't want to work for a company that makes knives. Like, I want to I want to work in sports. Like, I've been in sports since 2009. Like, I, I that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm doing on my own. Like, I think I want to give this a shot. And she goes, you've been talking about it long enough. I was like, yeah, but I just, I was never ready. Like, I don't know if I'm ready now. She said, what's the worst? It goes under and you get another job. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when you, you put, put it, it that like, way. Yeah, when you put it like that, I guess that's just the worst. I mean, worst comes to worst. You just go back to another knife company and say, hey, yeah. like, would have got this job. Just who wants to work for a knife company? Or, you know, or wherever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, at that point, company, you so. know. So I guess, uh, you know, through, so how long have you been, I guess, again, from that time period forward, how long has that been? Four or five, six years at this point? Five years now, yeah. Five years. And so now, like before you were the employee of many of these places, you know, obviously Nike, UW, and, and the Diamondbacks, what is it now like being the owner of the company? And, and how much more is on your plate from the business aspect? And how much less do you get to do from the actual creative aspect? Um... I, I don't do any less on the creative side. I, okay. I'm still just as involved with the creative part, um, which is where my why I want to be anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah, I'm just much more on the on the business side of things. So uh, that was the kind of the biggest challenge for me was learning the business side of it because I have I have no business background. I, I made pretty pictures for a living. <laughs> that was always the point. Uh, and my dad for years was harping on me: you should get a business minor. You should go to you know take some business classes because if you ever want to start your company. Dad, I don't want to start my company. I want to work for Nike. I want to work for Adidas. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And it was like, but if you ever do, I was like, nah, uh, no, just leave me alone. <laughs> and here I am. And in the last five years, has been a major crash course in mm -hmm. business. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't. It, graphic design is a pretty easy business to run. It's it's not that crazy. And and fortunately for me. Uh, knowing all the people I know in sports, having a, a big network of people, having the experience that I have, you know, working apparel, working um, for a team, for working for college, uh, and then doing the branding stuff. There's there's a lot of different places I can touch, so I don't really have to. I don't, I don't mean to brag about this, but I don't really have to find work. Work kind of finds me, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very, very, very fortunate in that. Um, so. I, I don't spend a ton of time marketing. I don't spend a ton of time like pounding the pavement. Uh, I have a lot of conversations with my colleagues in sports and I, I just spend more time building and maintaining relationships. But at the end of the day, like most of the people I work with are my friends, mm -hmm. uh, which is really, really cool. And I love that. That is, um, And I mean, word of mouth is going to be the best advertising, right? There's really no need to market if you have the most powerful. I don't care what marketer talks to you. Word of mouth will always and forever be the most powerful. So yeah. you can get your friends to talk about you to their bosses or if they're the decision makers, that's pretty easy. That's honestly kind of unfair, but take the money and take the yeah, money and run. Yeah, I mean, man. and that's that's kind of what's happened uh, between, between my friends who I've gotten to know over the years and who have said, hey, uh, 
can you do this kind of a project? Yeah, man. What do you need? Well, this is what we've got. Can you do that? Absolutely. How much would you charge? This? Cool. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go. All right. Uh, and then, uh, so there's that kind of aspect of it. And then um, I have a, kind of a, a referral train, mm-hmm. I guess. That's kind of the best way I can I can pull it from uh, my former boss at the Diamondbacks. And then, uh, so how I got work with the Dolphins is that he left the D-backs and took a gig with the Dolphins. And they had some needs. And he called me. Uh, and then he had an employee who left to be the creative director of the Miami Marlins. And he was like, Hey John, who's, who's your guy who's doing this stuff? Oh, it's, it's Brian. And then he had a, a buddy who got to the Padres and that, that guy, Brandon said, Eddie, who's, who's your guy helping you with the Marlins? Oh, it's, it's Brian. So there's, there's this, you know, train of work that, that I can kind of trace back to my, my, my time at the Diamondbacks. So that's and, the other place that kind of helped out with that part. And- the relationships are very important, but you obviously have to do good work too. Uh, you have to do efficient work too. It's not right. just because you know these people; uh, yeah. they are your friends, as you said. But as you were talking about before, you're you're capable of doing things that other people are not, which is good, which is very very good. And again, if the work is there, people are going to continue to hire you, and hopefully, you're getting more relationships with all these people in the sports industry because we as as we know, it's very transient industry where people are moving constantly, going to all these other places, and you want to be friends yep. with everyone. Yep. At one point, you're going to know everyone at all these teams, and I think that's when that's when we're going to have a lot of fun. But yeah, then, seems like you're still doing pretty well. And and if yeah. you don't mind, we were we were talking about it before. If you don't mind naming off some of the places that you have worked already, just to throw a little extra credibility onto your name. So I have my clients have included over the years the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Marlins, Miami FC, the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons, but really A and B Sports and Entertainment, which is the the ownership group that owns the Falcons, um, Kansas city chiefs, DC United, LA galaxy, um, the Kansas city chiefs, the San Diego Padres, the San Francisco giants, the Oakland athletics, um, the LA Dodgers, minor league baseball, major league baseball, the Hillsborough hops, I think those are kind of the big hitter highlights on yeah. oh, uh, Adidas and Under Armour. Oh, that is super ironic. You work for Nike. You try and get a job for Adidas. They don't hire you, so then they hire you as a contract. That is fantastic. Look at that, man. Look, you won. You won. You did it. You got the job with Adidas just in the best way possible. Uh, That's pretty awesome, man. I didn't know that. Uh, And so I guess... I mean, obviously, again, it's, it's the word of mouth. It's the incredible work that you've done. It's the people that you know. It's, you know, reaching out to me and saying, hey, you know, I'd love to come on the show. I think that would be great. You know, put your name yeah. out there a little bit more. So one thing that you and I spoke about, which I think is awesome, is, you know, we spoke about it in the beginning because everything comes full circle. You starting your design career was in, you know, whatever EA, you know, NHL you know, 01 or 95, whatever the hell it was, when you could start to make your own logos. You actually designed the San Diego Padres logo. Um, the most recent one. So it has only yep. been revealed. It's been revealed a couple of times. Obviously we had spring training. That was obviously been cut short. Hopefully we get baseball in some capacity this year, but we will find out. I would love to talk. I know we only have a couple minutes left and I don't, we don't need to talk about it for 10 minutes, but like, what is how, a, how cool is it that a team comes to you and says, Hey, we'd love for you to redesign our entire, our team logo, the most important thing to a team. And what is that process like? Like how, how intense is it? How much inputs from them? How much is it just like, hey, you know, you know, here's kind of a blank canvas. Here's a couple colors, you know, go to town. Uh, like, what is that process like? And again, how, how freaking cool is that? Well, to me, it was it was childhood dream come true. Right? Like, for the That's longest cool. time, whenever I got into graphic design, I was like, oh, the dream is to rebrand a major professional sports franchise. And I got to do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and now that's a part of MLB history. They're, they're whenever, however long this, this brand lasts, yep. and I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that it's going to last forever. Um, if it lasts five years, I'll be thrilled. Uh, longer than that is just gravy. Um, but for the period starting 2020 to whenever, that San Diego Padres brand was done by me. And uh, no one can ever take that away from me. And that is just, that is the coolest kid in the candy store. Like, oh my God, I can't, you know, the Willy Wonka moment. Like, I can't believe this is actually happening. Um, to date, probably one of my, the proudest things and uh, I've ever had the pleasure of working on in my entire career. Um, 
And, and it wasn't just the primary logo I got to do. I got to do the cap mark. I did the the jersey lettering, uh, the you know the Padres in San Diego word marks. I did the new friar. I did the the name and number font on the on the back of the jersey as well. So you know, getting to do all of that um, short of the uniform was just incredible. That is awesome, man. Yeah, congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Like you're right. Like I'm thinking about you know I have a poster upstairs that just shows all the New York Giants logos, right? You know, one of them, if I was a Padres fan, I would get the newest one and it would have your logo right there on it. And it's going to be around, as you said, it's in history. It's not like it, it, even if it only lasts for five years, it's there forever because they will always bring it up. Anytime they yeah. talk about the Padres or their logo, one of them, one of those pictures will be the one you created, which again, exactly. I just think that is the coolest thing ever. Me too, man. Like that's, that's why I do this. Uh, so that's just what lights my fire and gets me going in the day is, is, you know, seeing my stuff out in the real world and for it to be that big with mm-hmm. people being so passionate about it. People are buying it on hats, on t-shirts, on, I mean, go to the MLB web, uh, shop website, all that Padre, new Padres gear. I was like, that's, that's my stuff right there. That's my yeah, stuff. Right. Um, so uh, that to me is just, yeah, I, I can't so beat cool. that feeling. And, and um, what's, the, what's the process like? Like how how much, how involved were were the Padres people? Um, you know, I'm assuming they had someone like a person as you were at the Diamondbacks, right? So you had some mm-hmm. sort of, communication with them but i guess what is that like and like how much how much are they saying how much are they driving that ship where you're just kind of coming up with the ideas versus how much is it just kind of like hey we're this is what we're shooting for give us your best shot yeah i mean the every rebranding process or branding process is different uh just because you know the goals of the team varies team to team to team to team you know um the potteries had a really specific brief uh, at the outset, and that was that they wanted to just kind of alter their word marks and, and you know tweak those. And then um, you know they said they wanted to kind of marry some of the the typographic style from their their previous word mark with one of the word marks from from the early 1970s. Um, so that was my initial project brief. And then and then the other only other component was you know putting the the swinging friar. Um, which I'd actually updated for the 50th anniversary logo uh, that I had designed for the team um, and uh, pop it into a circle to be able to put on the, uh, as a sleeve logo. Mm-hmm. So those were, those were the two, two requests from the team. Um, so I started, as I was working on the typography, I started looking at the SD mark and I was like, Hey, there's some, there's some funky stuff happening here. Um, are we are we touching this? And they're like, well, no. But what do you what do you see? So I, I broke it down into into some very very technical stuff. I, I was like, there's none of these lines are straight. <laughs> they, they're they're all messed up. Yeah. So I was like, no, yeah, Katie, who the the VP of marketing, Katie Jackson. Um, I was like, KJ, they're they're not a straight line. And then I looked a little bit more and I was like, oh, none of the, none of the curves on the, on any of the letters match. So like the curve coming around the bottom of the S didn't match the, the, the curve at the very bottom of the S the, the curve at the top of the D didn't match the curve at the bottom of the D. And I was like, that's weird. And then the little points on the ends of the type, all four of them on, on the S and the D, none of them matched. So I was like, this is really weird. Uh, I don't know how this got built. If this was hand drawn and then translated and then digitized, uh, or what happened to get this being so wonky as it is, but it's wonky. And um, I, I put an overlay of the two marks and, and you know, straight lines, what 90 degree angles should look like. And, and I sent that to her and she was she immediately just like, oh no, we, we got to fix that. So that's how I got to do the, to do the new SD mark. And as we're going along, it was like, what are you doing on the back of the jersey? And she's like, oh, we're just going to use the standard MLB block. I was like, would you like a matching number? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, you can do that? Sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. Awesome. Are you going to use the block lettering for the, the nameplate? She's like, well, yeah, like we're a little worried that, you know, when you, you reduce down the, the font, the way you have it designed with the, the serifs, the points on the ends of the letters that it's going to get too wide. I was like, well, what if we just took those off? You can do that. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Of course. <laughs> She's like, well, what's it look like? So I did, here's, here's the custom numbers with the, the, the standard MLB block. Here it is with the custom font with the, the serifs. And she was like, Oh no, 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 We, we need yours. <laughs> so it was just, more of those things, like as I was playing along and working on stuff, I was like, "Hey, well, what about this? <laughs> what about that?" And they, every time I brought it up, they were like, 
yeah <laughs> yeah and and that's a really interesting lesson just for people listening like you couldn't get hired to do a job but if you continue to add value and i mean you got hired for a very important job let's not like uh let's not put that aside and you were still able to bring significantly more value by helping customize all these different aspects of the jersey and, and again what people are seeing on a what should be daily basis but again that's a whole nother conversation but I, I just think that's really important that again you were able to see and understand it's not you didn't just kind of say this is my job i'm gonna do it we're done it's this is my job but let's just look at all these other things and let's just see what we can find. And oh, quickly, you were able to find a lot of different things through your eye, through training, through whatever you do and however you do it. Mm -hmm. And you were able to pick those things up, add those value, add that value to the Padres. And then again, now you are everywhere. Now you are all over that uniform. Now you're all yeah. over the jerseys. People will buy those uniforms and own them forever. One of them hopefully will end up in the Hall of Fame. How cool would that be? You know, just oh like, my God. like yeah. you never know. I mean, the Padres farm system is loaded at this point. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe they pick that jersey too, as you said. Maybe hopefully it lasts a little longer than five years. But again, it's just so cool some of the stuff you've done. And I just think it is, it is. I'm so grateful I got to have this conversation. I know we ran a little bit over, but we're having an absolute blast. So, Brian, thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. Maybe we'll have you on again and we'll just kind of do like some of your favorite logos and some of my least favorite logos. And we can oh, I'd love to do that. That would actually yeah. be kind of fun because I can Let's do screen share and stuff. So that would be fun. But Let's do it. Brian Gundell, Principal Creative Director at Brian Gundell Graphic Design Company. All of the links will be in the show notes so all your socials, everyone can find them down there. I'll throw your website. You actually have a really awesome case study breakdown showing actually like the, the, the curves on the S and the D. I was looking at that before, so I thought that was cool. So all that will be in the show notes. But Brian, sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for having me. It was This was a lot of fun.